Wow. Pretty good crowd here tonight. Oh, no. If, if so, that's the wrong reason for being here. I'm just telling you. Let's, let's pray again, shall we? Okay. Heavenly Father, again, um, what an awesome thing that here's a bunch of people that in spite of everything else we could be doing, Lord, by mercy and grace, what you've done in our hearts, we're here tonight. And our desire, dear Lord, is to hear from you. Like we prayed earlier, Lord, not only to hear from you, but to see, to really see and have our hearts changed forever. And Lord, we want to be like Enoch who walked with God. And so, Lord, again, uh, we are trusting, Lord, we have your promise that you are here, you're gathered, you, you are with us for those who gather together to your name. And Lord, we are asking you by your Holy Spirit to empower, enliven, enlighten us all as we look at your word and open our hearts to you and seek, Lord, to uh, honor you and be well-pleasing. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Enoch tonight. Enoch, pleasing God by a walk of faith. Hebrews 5, 11, 5 and 6. Now we're going to look at three passages tonight. That passage in Hebrews, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 5 and we're going to look in the book of Jude. Those are the three places where Enoch is mentioned. And what we want to do is read through those verses and just go through them meticulously as we can to ascertain the major, major facts that are there. We're just going to look at those facts and then we're going to try to understand why the writer of Hebrews highlighted Enoch and then through that find application to ourselves. Amen? Okay, so let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. I'll just read through these two verses. That's all we got. I'm reading out of the Lexham English Bible. It says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he did not experience death. And he was not found because God took him up. For before his removal, he had been approved as having been pleasing to God. Now without faith, it is impossible to please him. For the one who approaches God must believe that he exists and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Okay, so now let's just look at the facts. We've got to get the facts. Number one. It starts off, Enoch was taken away. He was, some of the verses, uh, some of the translations say taken up. One says translated, some of the older ones. He was taken up so that he would not see or experience death. Just note that fact. He was not found. Now, last time I noticed English language, it says when somebody's not found, it means somebody's looking for them. He wasn't found. I mean, he'd been around for 65, he had been around for 365 years. We'll see that in, in Genesis. He certainly knew a lot of people. He had sons and daughters. He had a father and brothers and sisters. There was a family. And at whatever, whatever point, dad didn't come home. The son didn't call. 
He was not found, and I, I don't know how long they looked for him until they figured out God took him. Then it says this. He was not found because God took him away. God took him. He was the one that took him out, took him up, took him away. You know, some of the translations use took him to heaven. The word heaven isn't in the text. I don't know where this guy is, but I know he's not here. Then in, uh, it continues, it says, for... Before Enoch was taken, he was approved. He had testimony. That, the word here is actually comes again. We've, this is a very interesting thing throughout the book of Hebrews. The root word that's used here is martyr. He had a witness. He had something. He, had, he bore witness and God bore witness to him that he pleased God. That's a powerful thing. The root word for pleased here is eurostio and that i'm not getting into greek we're not going to play with that but i just want you to note that that's the greek word for pleased here because we're going to see it later when we get to genesis 5 and then now there was the statement verse 6 now without faith it is impossible to please him so i just said that enoch pleased god right all right previous verse Enoch pleased God. So we can be assured that Enoch had some demonstration of faith. There was a recognizable, knowable demonstration of faith because he pleased God. And, I, and uh, we'll see how he did this in, five, in Genesis 5 and uh, also in, in Jude. And then it states this. The one who approaches God. So he approached God. In the context, what it's saying is here's this demonstration of faith. He pleased God. He pleased God by approaching him. And the person that approaches him must, do two th must believe two things. He must believe that God exists. That's a prerequisite. You don't go to somebody. I don't come down and say hi to you unless I am acknowledging you're really there. And then he goes a step further. The author goes a step further and he says, number two, he must believe that God rewards those who seek him. It was a, we had an interesting conversation on Sunday over at the Graymans. We get together with them once a month and, and the Clarks come. And Greg Clark was sharing with us a little bit that he had heard a message from a Baptist preacher. He really enjoyed And this man was talking about rewards. And he says how little we Christians really have done a good study on that from the Scripture. It is a big subject. It's not a small subject at all. God is a rewarder of those who seek him. Okay? Now, I want to interject a question here before we go to Genesis 5. Here's the question. How do we get faith? That's the question. This is the interactive part of the meeting now okay so that's a question to the audience here how do we get faith at least somebody can respond here yes 
gift of God. But how? Did you hear everybody hear Matt? In, Gen, in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word about Christ. Okay, so now we know it's just not just a physical hearing because so many people have heard and really not heard. But we're not, tonight we're not looking at what, what does hearing mean or anything like that. Let's assume it means really hearing something from God's word. But that's what we want to look at is where it comes from. Where does, where does, how is that faith generated in us? How is it brought into existence in us? And it's from hearing the word of God. And when we go through Genesis 11, you're going to see this again and again and again and again and again and again. Everybody. All these people were reacting, responding. They were moved. They believed. In the word of God. Something came to them regarding the word of God. He, got, he spoke to them. Okay, so let's now go to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis 5 starts with verse 18. We're going to look at really 21 through 24. But let me read this. Genesis 5, 18 through 24. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. And after Jared had fathered Enoch, he lived 800 years, and he fathered sons and daughters, and all the days of Jared were 962, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and fathered sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was no more, for God took him. Now, before we get into the details of this, I want to highlight a few things about chapter 5 in particular, and maybe a little bit about 6. Enoch was alive before Adam died. Enoch was born before Adam died. In fact, they overlapped in years 308. Now, I don't know about you, but I know I would be very curious to talk to my great-great-great-great-grandfather, Adam. I'd like to talk to that guy. I'd really like to get some help here. I'd like to get some details. I'd like to understand things firsthand, not secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand. So they overlapped some 308 years. That means when... Methuselah was born when Enoch was 65. Methuselah was born while Adam was alive and lived a number of years. And that's an important thing we're going to look at. Enoch was taken up 57 years after Adam died. And, he, and then Noah was born just 69 years after Enoch was taken up. So I'm sure that story was still making headlines. Where did this guy go? What happened to him? How, how did it happen? Now about chapter 6. Think about chapter 6. What's in chapter 6? What happens? What starts? Chapter 6 of Genesis. What was it, Matt? 
Yeah, what, what was the result of that wickedness? What happened with that wickedness? A flood. Everybody wiped out but eight human beings. Whoa. Serious stuff, right? There's a statement in verse 5 of, of chapter 6. I'm going to give you this, again, the, Lex, the Lexham English version. It says, the evil of mankind was great. And then it says in the next phrase, every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was always only evil. Point I want to make here is I, I think we can assume that Enoch was right in the middle of that atmosphere. You get what I'm saying there? It's not like he, it was came after he got translated. No, he was in the thick of it. And I think we're going to see that tonight by what he says, what Jude records about what he prophesied. All right. So the first few verses of what we read here in Hebrews 5, just talk about Jared birthing, fathering Enoch. So we don't need to look at those in any particular fashion. We want to look at verse 21, though. It says, Enoch fathered Methuselah. Now, up to this point in the story of Enoch, it's following the pattern. There's a pattern in chapter 5. The pattern goes something like this. Each person living lives so long, so many years. They fathered a particular son. We're going to assume it's the first one. I think it is. We can make that a good assumption. I don't know. But he assumed a particular son. That's the one they mentioned. They lived so many years after that, they beget other sons and daughters. And then it says very explicitly, he died. He died. He died. He died. He died. Six times. And then there's this verse 22 in chapter 5. And the pattern gets interrupted. Two things. It says this. And Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years. He walked with God for 300 years after he fathered Methuselah. It's the first mention of anybody walking with God. Now, we believe that Adam did that, but it doesn't say he did. Later on, it's going to say Noah did, and then there's some others that follow in the book of Genesis. And then again in verse 24. Verse 23 is the same pattern as everyone. But then it says, after he lived so and such and such a time, he had more sons and daughters. It says, and Enoch walked with God. It says it again. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a testimony. It takes two to give a testimony, right? You don't believe just one person. You need two for a witness and a testimony. It says, and Enoch walked with God, and he was no more, for God took him. All right, so now we need to dig a little bit deeper. I'm going to make some assumptions here, so bear with me on chapter 5 before we go to Jude. The word walking that's used here, Enoch walked with God. It's the same word that is used in chapter 3, verse 8, when it says God was walking in the cool of the garden. If you look at all the expositors and then look at uh, the, the, the word and what it means, 
It means that it's walking to and fro. Many of the translators, especially the commentators, they say it's not just a casual walk. God's not just out there going, just looking at the garden. You know, he's walking through the garden, seeing how things are, and saying, oh, yeah, where's my, where's my children, Adam and Eve? No, no, it was a, a walk with intent, not a casual stroll, okay? The Septuagint version of the Old Testament, written in Greek, doesn't use the word walked. It uses the word Enoch pleased God. The same word, Greek word, that's used in Hebrews chapter 11. And so I would infer by that that the author of Hebrews, and we've looked at this before when we've been looking at many passages, he was referring back to the Septuagint version. And that's what he was quoting from many times in Hebrews. And so from that reference, and, and, and many times, the Septuagint, Septuagint is often described as more of an interpretation than a translation. And I believe that, some of the, a lot of things that I've seen. And so I would say that the author of Hebrews, quoting from the Septuagint, is interpreting the walk that is in the Hebrew language to pleasing. It's a very important thing. Now listen to this. It is stated very clearly Verse 22, and Enoch walked with God after he followed Methuselah. I mean, excuse me, after he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah. So it appears to me, and this is an assumption I'm drawing from the text, something must have happened at that time. I believe it did. Something happened at the birth of Methuselah that issued in a walk with God. Scholars have debated about the name of Methuselah. There's some debate. Uh, a number of them interpret his name as something like this. When he is dead, it shall be sent. How's that for a name? When he is dead, it shall be sent. Okay? When he dies, it will come. Uh, appears maybe that the Hebrew root of the word is two words again. Muth equals to die and shalak means to send forth. Whatever it means, and we can debate about this, but whatever it means, here's a fact. In the year that Methuselah died, the flood came. That's a fact. Methuselah was the longest living man that we have a record of, 969 years. And when he died, it came. All right, let's go to Jude. Jude, no chapters in Jude. Just one chapter, verses 14 and 15. And Enoch, <clears throat> the seventh from Adam, also prophesied about these pe people. 
the ones that are referred earlier in Jude. So he prophesied about these people, saying, Behold, the Lord came with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment against all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all their ungodly deeds, what they have committed in an ungodly way, and concerning all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That means God. Pretty simple. So how about the facts here? Enoch prophesied. That's what Jude tells us. He prophesied. Let me tell you from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, what does that mean? Peter says this, every prophecy of Scripture, every prophecy of Scripture, this is now, this is Scripture, Jude, the book of Jude is Scripture. Every prophecy of Scripture does not come about from one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. It's, that's, the source isn't in the man. But, God, but men were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they spoke from God. They were carried along. So we don't have the record in the Old Testament, but Enoch had the word of God revealed to him and he prophesied. Something happened. The contents of the prophecy, they're, 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 they're basically the Lord came with 10,000 of his holy ones. Those are the angelic hosts. Those are real power. Remember, the Lord says, one of the angels, if I, if I was really going to be released from you guys, just one angel could come out and take care of y'all, all you soldiers. So 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment. Now, I believe, my personal view is that this could and does apply to both the flood and to the second coming of Christ. You know, many times in the Old Testament when the prophets would speak, there would be a, a looming event. The Assyrians were drawing near, but it's clear it also is talking about events at the second coming, just before the second coming of Christ. I believe this is the same vein. So... <clears throat> We got all the major facts. I won't go, I'm not going to review them because I'm going to try to put them in an integrated picture. I call it that. Try to bring it all together into an integrated picture from these three passages so that we can understand what the author of Hebrews had and what he was being inspired with. Remember, he's being inspired. We are talking about inspired scripture. What was in his mind to bring to the Hebrew believers about their condition, about their risks, and then apply it to ourselves, okay? I'm just going to read this, best way to do it. Maybe I'll embellish. I, I, get a, I get away with myself here. At age 65, at the birth of his first son, Enoch had an encounter with the living God. I don't know how else to attribute it. Again, faith comes by hearing the word of God. He saw that which he was going to eventually is recorded in Jude 14 and 15. He saw that and he prophesied that. It impacted him. This event, whatever happened, we don't have a record of it. I don't, we don't need a record of it. It impacted him so much it changed the rest of his life. 
the next 300 years. He named his son Methuselah. When he dies, it shall come. He began to prophesy to that evil and wicked generation. And he walked with God for 300 years. Here's a little uh, more depth of an exposition of Hebrews by Arthur Pink. He says the term walk signifies a voluntary act. A voluntary act. It's with intent. It's a steady advance. It's a progress in spiritual things. To walk with God imports a life of surrender to God, a life controlled by God, a life lived for God. It's clear Enoch really, really believed that God existed. You remember, he's there with all these people. He's there with Adam, he's there with Seth. He's got a lot of history, a lot of, if you will, church history. He's got, he's grew, he grew up in church. But at some point, every single person has to come to a real, live, living, personal faith that God really exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And I think that happened right about the birth of that son, Methuselah. Something happened that changed his life. And it was no longer just what Adam said, what Seth said. It was an actual living encounter that he saw into the future. He saw that flood coming and he saw that second coming of Christ. He had an enduring walk of faith for 300 years that pleased God. And God rendered him a testimony, and he became the first person recorded in Scripture that never saw death. He was taken. It was very clear. He did not see death. He didn't experience death. God took him up, and God rewarded him. I believe that that taking up, you know, in the Scripture, there's, there is... And it's, we're seeing this in Hebrews. There's a foretaste of some things, right? The Sabbath rest in chapters 3 and 4. I believe that there's both a foretaste and a full taste. Now, I'm believing that, I'm trusting that most of us have had a foretaste of a lot of these things. I am very anxious for the full taste. I don't know about you. Today I had a gimp. That gimp that sometimes is in my leg came back to me today with a vengeance. I'm thinking, oh, that's a little simple thing. But, you know, one day I'm going to put this off. Now, I'm probably going to look the same, but I'm going to, there ain't going to be no gimp. What about the Hebrew believers? And I'm absolutely convinced, I don't have a shadow of a doubt that these are not believers they're not unbelievers. These brothers and sisters had an encounter also with the living God. They heard either directly from the Lord. You look at, go back into chapter 2. And they either heard the Lord Jesus speaking publicly or they heard from those who heard him. They heard the word of God. From the first generation and maybe from the mouth of the Lord himself. 
And it says that God bore witness with signs and wonders and gifts of the Spirit. They were enlightened, it says in chapter 6. They were enlightened. They had partaken of the Holy Spirit. They had tasted the heavenly gift and the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Wow! They had endured. Listen to this. They had endured great conflict of sufferings. We just looked at that a few weeks ago. Jail time, spoiling of their possessions. But then something had been happening to these guys. Because of a lot of things, things got fuzzy. There was doubts rising in their minds. And they were starting to drift by what they had heard. They weren't entering into that Sabbath rest. They had become dull of hearing. And when they should have been teachers, they were not pressing on to full growth. Some were forsaking the assembling of themselves together. They weren't showing up at the prayer meeting or the ministry meeting or the, this meeting or the breaking of the bread or whatever it was. And it says in chapter 10 that they were about to cast away their boldness. And they were going to shrink back to destruction. And again, I believe that word really means become unusable to God. Of no use. Doesn't mean they cease to exist. It means it's no use. Unusable. So here is this word of exhortation. That's at the end of this. He calls the whole book. A word of exhortation, chapter 13, verse 22. Here's this word of exhortation. We're looking at Enoch tonight. We'll look at all these other people. Who is having, who has had also, like them, a living encounter with the living God. Who saw something. He saw it. Changed his life. And he had an enduring walk of faith for 300 years. Pleasing God in, what, in the, what is described in Genesis 6. He's right in the middle of it. So, let me just jump to the application to us. And I really want to couch it in terms of what I've been through in response to this word. Over the last few weeks, and I've, I've taught on this passage a number of times in the past, and Hebrews has been one of my favorite books through my 40 years of Christian walk. So before I do, though, I want to ask a question of us all. Here's my question to you. You don't have to answer publicly. I'm not looking for that. What kind of grip? What kind of grip? Think of what Paul was saying in Philippians chapter 3, it says he was laid hold of by Christ. Christ got a hold of him on the road to Damascus. What kind of grip, what kind of impact, what kind of effect does the revelation from the word of God of the promises, hope, inheritance, all those things, especially those that are associated with that second coming, what kind of grip do those things have on me? on you are you gripped by that is your life radically changed by that 
I can tell you that personally I have had an encounter with the living God. I gave my testimony. Lowell asked me. I was surprised. Lowell asked me to give it several weeks ago. I did. I was a arrogant, pot-smoking, immoral person. Philosophy major at the University of Washington. And God interrupted my life. Took a little time. It wasn't instantaneous, though it occurred instantaneously when it, when the grip came. It came through the Word of God. It awakened me to the hope that is set before us, brothers and sisters. The I can't tell you how much. Um, that that which is coming has gripped me. To see that kingdom come here. I, I want to be in there when that announcement comes. Revelation eleven fifteen. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. He will destroy the destroyers of this earth and he will reward, it says. Following verses, verse 18. Those who have been diligent to follow him. He's a rewarder of those that seek him. I've been enlightened. I, I'm, this is not a boast. I am humbled by what, the things that God has shown me. I don't deserve it. I'm not, I'm not that smart. I'm not that diligent. Maybe you guys think I am, but you are wrong. <laughs> God in mercy and grace. He just gives to whoever he gives forever, whatever reason he gives. He distributes the gifts. He does it for his own glory. That's his business, and it, I don't claim any. I've been made a partaker of the Holy Spirit. I've tasted of the thing, good things to come, a real foretaste. Once you taste some excellent blue cheese... That's semi-creamy. I tell you what, that other stuff that's in the grocery store, you got no taste for it at all. You with me on that? We've tasted. Haven't you tasted these things? It's been in your mouth. And you say, wow, that is really good. I don't know, sometimes I, I'm with cheese like this. I'll find a good cheese, and I'll tell you what, I'll I'll. I'll find out if I don't stop myself, I will have eaten the whole thing before I rise up from the table. I'm putting it on my crackers, and I use a specific kind of cracker. They're not flavored. They're just those water crackers, and I'll tell you what, they just form a good base to let that flavor come through. This is my own personal view here. I believe that the world of ease and comfort that has been sovereignly given to us. I, I'm not saying, you know, we didn't. It's here. Like my wife says, I, she is a, an American Christian in a world of ease and comfort. Thank you, Lord. That's your sovereignty. But I firmly believe 
that that time is coming to an end. We're going to see its demise. It will be in this generation. That's my opinion. I believe that God is removing the restraint of lawlessness. God, it says clearly in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it's again one of the chapters I've looked at so many times. I can't tell you how many times. It says he's restraining. We can debate about what does the restraining. There's a lot of debate in the scholars, a lot of debate in the teachers. I really, I have my own opinion. You're not going to hear it tonight. If you ask me, I might not tell you. The restraint is going to be lifted. That's the point. And lawlessness, it says, is going to come to the full. And the lawless one, the man of sin, the son of perdition, is going to have full manifestation. That's going to happen someday, and I believe we're, we're walking into it. I read an interesting article the other day commenting on the Ukrainian situation. How many know what has been happening in the Ukraine? You know, everybody's been whooped up over there, and they, they were fighting because the, the president wanted to sign a deal with Russia, and he did. And the majority of the people wanted to sign an agreement with the European Union, and so they took to the streets, and there was almost to the point of civil war. There's still some touchy things going on in the very south where, this, where the Russians have a base in Ukraine. <coughs> a naval base. Anyway, an interesting comment made by some astute observers. They said this, when the foreign ministers from, what was it, France, Germany, and one other one, I can't remember who it was, came over and helped negotiate an end to this crisis, they ignored, they ignored the Constitution of Ukraine. So you've got two things. I, I, it, it may be better for the people, but the, the principle is they ignored the rule of law. You know what that's called? Lawlessness. How would you feel if, if we did everything in this country by popular vote? How many want to believe that's how it ought to be done? No, we have a constitutional republic. A democratic, we get to vote, republic, which means its basis is in law. I think that's coming unglued. That is coming unglued. I check with the Lord. Here's my application. I check with the Lord frequently. I ask him, Lord, how am I doing? How am I doing? Really? I want to know how I'm doing. You know, he's going to ask me at the judgment seat. I, I would like to have a bunch of, understand what the word I'm using here, dry runs before I get there. I worked at Boeing for 30 years. Come on, guys, okay? I would like to have some reviews. You know, it says in chapter 4, the Word of God is living and operative, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And we are laid bare and naked before the eyes of him to whom we will give an account. 
You know what? None of us can hide from God. And I tell the Lord frequently, Lord, I, I know I can't hide from you. And so I want, I want to really not try to do that. I don't want to hide. I want to get the review right now. I don't want to hide. Am I pleasing to you? I ask what adjustments are needed. And as, Lord, as far as I know, and again, I can just say this with a clear conscience, as far as I know, he has told me, continue with the things that you're doing, and all I want you to do is seek to increase and abound in those things. And I'll let you know if you're not doing okay. And he's spoken one other word to me, and it comes out clearly in this situation with Enoch. Endurance. The word is used a number of times in Hebrews. How long did Enoch walk with God? Three hundred years. And we get worked up about an hour and a half. Two weeks. A month. Ten years is nothing for 300, right? 300 is 30 times 10. I often ask God to increase for all of us our understanding and our spiritual sight of our hope. Listen, faith is the substance of things hoped for. If we don't have a clear spiritual sight, a growing sight of that which we're going to, the first night I shared in Hebrews, I said it, salvation is not so much in the book of Hebrews focused on what we came out of. It is what we are going to. If I really don't see what is out ahead of me as God promised, then I will be caught up in the things that are now. And if the things that are now Head south, I believe, I believe, like these, book, like these Hebrews, if I am not maintaining a daily walk with the Lord, I could lose hope, cast off my boldness, and shrink back. It's possible. doesn't mean, and again, I've, you can talk with me, it doesn't mean I lose my salvation. I believe it, it means I lose a whole bunch of stuff from what is coming. But listen. I am persuaded that we, I'm going to trust everybody here is to some degree on track in a walk of faith, pleasing to God. We are not of those who shrink back, but of those who have faith to the preserving of our souls. Let's pray. Father, again. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord. You have given us everything for life and godliness. And Lord, we do need to add our part of diligence. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we won't have times. But, Lord, we want to continue to endure in a walk of faith yes, that is Lord. pleasing to you.
Please, Lord, have mercy on us all. To your glory and to our blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Greg.